Susanna Melvoin is a singer. She's the lead singer of the family. She's a musician. She's a friend. She's a twin. Her twin sister is Wendy Melvoin from The Revolution. And Susanna is an ex-girlfriend of Prince. She was like the love of his life. They dated as Purple Rain took off and got engaged in Paris around the time of the filming of Under the Cherry Moon. If I Was Your Girlfriend is about her. Nothing Compares to You is about her. Starfish and Coffee is about her childhood. She went to school with someone named Cynthia Rose, who was on the spectrum, who every day said that what she'd had for breakfast was starfish and pee-pee. No, for real, for real. Prince changed it a little bit, but that's one of Susanna's childhood stories set to music. I previously aired a different sit-down with Susanna on this show, but there's a lot of new listeners since then, and we had a whole new sit-down with Susanna, which expanded the story in many ways. So in honor of our first episode with our new network, DCP Entertainment, we're giving you a new interview, taking you deeper inside the world of Prince with Susanna Melvoin. On Touré Show. You were a professional singer before you met Prince. Yes, I, well, I, I wanted to be at a certain point to be a singer, but when I was really little, I was a commercial jingle singer. Because your dad was the biggest session player in Los Angeles, you had that talent and entree. Yes, he would be doing sessions, and it was sort of a natural progression to bring in Wendy and I, and my brother to a certain, yeah, my twin sister, Wendy. But it was a natural progression to bring us into certain jingles, as they called them, um, where where they needed kids. So we would go in and do that. So how'd you meet Prince? Okay. Um... It's always such a loaded question because how did I meet him? Um, I felt as though I already knew him because Lisa had already had the gig. And I was still in high school. Wendy and I were still in high school. It was like my 11th, I was in 11th grade. And even earlier than that, I was a fan, right? And then when Lisa got the gig, Wendy and I were like, you know, we've got a family member that's with royalty. We thought it was the greatest thing ever. So I always felt I knew him through Lisa. Um, but then cut to graduating high school, I got my first job out of high school working for David Geffen. And I was 17 and got this gig as his receptionist at Geffen Records. Mm-hmm. And um, it was time for the Christmas party for Geffen, the Geffen Christmas party that was associated with Warner Brothers. It was Warner Brothers and all the subsequent, dis, you know, all the other labels that were underneath the family of Warner Brothers, all the labels slash all of them. Um, so, you know, little 17-year-old me goes and gets my first dress and, you know, completely awkward, have no clue. I'm going to a big party for Warner Brothers I have to represent, right? So I'm at, I can't remember. I want to say that it was at Le Dome, which was on Sunset Boulevard here. And I'm wandering around the halls. <laughs> I'm wandering around the halls, and I find my way up to the front where the doors to open up, like whether or not I'm going to leave. Like I got to get some air. Like I'm just feeling super 
claustrophobic, 17, not mingling with anybody. I see over in the far wall, I see Prince and Vanity. And I sort of look and I'm like, do I say something? What year is this? 83. Because I graduated in 82. Before Purple Rain. Yes, before Purple Rain. This is 1999. And, you know, I actually want to say, okay, so... Yeah. So it was Prince and Vanity right there. And I, you know, I, I was I going to say something. I didn't really know how to deal with that at all. So I went to find a payphone for all you folks out there who don't know what a payphone is. <laughs> There's such a thing as a payphone. Um, so I went to find a payphone, put my 10 cents in, called Wendy and Lisa. He's here with Vanity. He's here. Like, do, should I say something to him? Yeah, go and say hello. Because you're a fan. I was a fan and went, you know, Lisa was my sister. And like, I just wanted, you know, like, He'd met Wendy. He knew her because Wendy'd been on the road to visit Lisa. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to get the nerve. I'll, I'll go say something. So I'm sort of gingerly walking up and sort of looking right at him. Just no expression, just looking right at me. And I'm thinking, is this not a good idea? Do I not say something to him? Like I'm getting this feeling like, don't walk any closer, but I just felt compelled. I was like, you, you don't understand. I've got family. They all know you. You should know me. 17, dumb. Um, but I walk up and I say, excuse me, um, my name's Susanna, and you know my sister Lisa and my twin sister Wendy. And he says, hello. Just... And he's just staring at me, waiting for me to talk. Okay, fill the space, say some more. But Vanity comes in, and she's like, look at how cute she is. Look at those chubby cheeks. She And she's like, she comes up and she touches my cheeks. Look at how sweet and cute and chubby those cheeks are. And of course, all I could think of is myself, like three hours earlier, looking at the mirror, going, "Oh my God, you're just—it's 17. You've got cheeks out to here. You just—you know—like it was my worst nightmare, right?" And she, of course, was saying, "You know, I'm Big Mama here. You know, careful." So I was like, "Really nice to meet you. Just wanted to say hello." Backed up. I was like. Boy, that just seemed like a bad idea. <laughs> just such a bad idea. Um, but it wasn't a bad idea because, you know, it was within a few weeks that um, he was back in town and calling Lisa and Wendy. And we were, you know, picking him up at the airport. Wendy and Lisa would start first. Say, Wendy, Lisa had a car, this great car we used to call Betty Flounder. It was this peach, beautiful <laughs> thing. Anyway, drive to the airport, pick him up, bring him back to our place. And so it was just, the progression was, you know, I may be out of sequence here because I'm wondering, no, 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 that was about right. So, yeah, but that was my first meeting. Uh-huh. It was, um, well, how did it, Horrifying, but yet I suppose worth it in the end. So how did it progress to more? Well, that particular period of time, he was coming to California. And, um, no, you know, it's so interesting. Now it's, it's, it's coming to me now. 
after that, after that's what it was. Okay. So he was shooting the 1999 video and Little Red Corvette. And after the Christmas party. So Wendy and I, I went with my sister to the set um, where they were shooting it. So I suppose that, that he was out here for that. And maybe even, you know, maybe they he, they were even shooting that Rolling Stone cover, Vanity and He. It may have been that they were shooting it at that time and he was doing the 1999 video and Little Red Corvette. And so I went down to that set and I remember it was the first time I'd seen um, um, Wow, I can't. I'm spacing. Just forget. I forget that part of. Forget all of that, because I can't remember. It. Okay. <laughs> wow, it's just flooding in all this information um, and memories. Um, so, I'd gone to the set. I'd seen this whole life and what Lisa was doing, and we were like, that was just really exciting, and I was so proud of Lisa, and. The following day, went right back to work, you know, went right back to Geffen Records, answering the phone, and um, they all left back to Minneapolis. And that's when Prince started coming back, and he started coming flying in, and it was then that they were just finishing up touring it's all coming back to me right now maybe they were on the 1999 tour they were doing all this press and um so he was coming to california a lot and he started wanting to stay with lisa and wendy and i was there and so i was just around him more and in incredibly intimate space like we had a tiny 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 house it's probably the size of this this room a two-bedroom living room kitchen you can't imagine there'd be two bedrooms in a, this just an itty bitty place it didn't have real doors it had saloon doors and like you just look under and see oh there's a naked person under there I mean just no privacy just silliness but he would come and stay with us and he would stay on our couch and we had many, many funny nights where I'd be in my room, which was right off the living room, and there's the couch five feet from my, my bed, and you hear him <laughs> saying, because we had two Persian cats, and they would subsequently jump on him <laughs> in the middle of the night, and you hear him like, Lisa, Wendy, can you come get the cats? <laughs> and I, I would be in the I'd be rolling in my bed, just like, oh my god, the cat. And I didn't know if I should I get up and get the cats. I'd be, I'd be in my nightgown, like it's okay. Let me just get the cats away from you for you. Like I just did. I stayed away. I didn't want to do it. Didn't want to get up in the middle of the night and like go out in the living room and like scare him or any of that. So I let Wendy and Lisa deal with the cats, but it was very funny. And um, yeah, I mean. I find it, you know, there's so many memories that are coming to me as we're sitting here now that 
you know, I wonder if I'd mentioned them to you before or maybe I hadn't. And just because there's so much. Well, we've talked about this before, but it's it's all such a fascinating story. Um, how did it progress to be a relationship? Well, it took a while, you know. That's why I'm saying I, I'm not saying any of this in real sequence. Sure. So, but I do have to say that... Um, He was out in L.A. and recording the Purple Rain soundtrack. That was done much earlier than even the rehearsals for the film into shooting the film, which was in a the dead of winter in Minneapolis. So he was out in L.A. and he would call, and the studio was really close to where we lived, and he would say to the girls, you know, can you come down? I need you to do, you know add guitar, add keyboards, or I need you guys to sing on this. I need I need your help. You know to be in the studio. So they'd be going back and forth, and then I would find myself going with them. When I'd come home from work, I'd be like, can I go down to the studio? Or he would say, you know, bring Susanna. She's, she can come down. And so I found myself going down there a lot. And one particular day that I was there um, I'd gone into the bathroom finishing up my business and I hear down the hallway knock 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 I open up the door and he just barrels through the door closes the door behind me I'm up against the wall and he just starts to kiss me all over all over. I can't stop thinking about you. And I'm like, like wow. Uh, you know, I hadn't. <laughs> can I wash my hands? Uh, <laughs> With good no, thing I had my pants up. No previous indication or flirtation. I tell you what. No, I. Ha- I have to be clear about that. I did feel as though that there was attention. Like, there, it was clear to me that this is a person that doesn't just give attention to somebody because he's, you know, like, super, you know, emotive and, you know, really easy to, to communicate with and, you know, hey, your little sister's here. Let's bring her along. It wasn't that. Like, you, I knew that there was some – something was heated. And I was certainly following that energy. And I was, you know, I – you know, I just – wanted to be there. Now, that said, um, when he, when that happened, he, I mean, he walked out the bathroom door, and that was it. I mean, he just walked away, and I was left with that. So I was like, wow, okay. And, of course, the you know, I just was like, I don't know if I like this or if I – I'm not sure, sure just what happened. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, I was like that. But um, it was – you know, within a few days of that, um, he asked if I would come to his hotel. This was late at night. It was like two or three in the morning, and he'd just finished at the studio. Wendy and Lisa and I, we were, everybody was asleep. Phone rings in the middle of the night. Of course, the girls are like, don't answer it. We don't want to go to work. Like, just don't answer it. We need to get some sleep. Because he called all of course, the time. I answered. I knew exactly who was calling. I just had this feeling. Pick up the phone. 
can we hang out? Can I come get you? Sure. So he comes and gets me, and we drive to his hotel. And we get up to his hotel room. And now this is really... I'm just going to say. So we get up to the hotel room. This is so early on in our relationship. This isn't even a relationship. This is sort of like the courting period, which is odd. But... We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids, and everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real, so I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm jumping ahead, so I should go back a little bit because before before he had opened the door and come in and sort of kissed my face and my neck and got a big whiff of my perfume and whatnot, <clears throat> he had been at the house and <laughs> he uh, he needed to use we, – we were all hanging out and he needed to use the restroom. And, then, of course, the restroom's in my bedroom mm-hmm. and there's you know, the saloon doors in the bathroom. The be- literally in the bathroom is in the bedroom with saloon doors. There's no privacy. If anyone needs to have any mo- have a moment, it's like, who cares if she's asleep? Who cares what happens in there? We're all together. Right. But he comes in, goes, does his business, comes back out, and he's standing at my bed. He's sort of looking at the bed. And I walk back in, and he said, 
do you sleep in this? Um, yeah, I sleep in that. Do you have a job? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he goes, can you buy yourself a mattress? <laughs> well, why did there's this huge dip in the center <laughs> of the mattress? It's just, it's like, it goes like this. And I was like, well, I only sleep on one side. So, I, you know, <laughs> doesn't, isn't that the only thing that matters? I only, I'm only on one side. And he was like, hmm. He kind of patted it and he got up and walked out. And the following day, there was a mattress and a box spring at the door. So I was oh. totally, I mean, when was I going to ever, ever buy myself a mattress and a box spring? It never occurred to me that that's what I should use my money on is something to, you know, a nice healthy bat and box spring and mattress. It would never have occurred to me. But it was kind of stunning that he did. And he was like, we got to get her a bed. And it was waiting for me when I got home from work. So... Those kinds of things start to happen, and then I get this phone call one night, you know, a few days after that, can you come to my hotel room? Sure. So he picks me up, and we're in the limousine, and he's very um, sort of sedate and sort of reflective and almost looked sad. And... I felt like, wow, I mean, you just asked me to kind of go out with you and go to your hotel. Um, you don't seem very into this. So I sort of just, okay, well, I'll just go for the ride. We get to the hotel, and we go up. He gets out of the car first, and he goes up into the room, and I follow him, and completely just stop speaking. Like he just stopped speaking. As weird. if I wasn't even there. And I thought, well, this is weird, kind of odd. Are you okay? Nothing. Nothing. And then there was a couch, and he gets on the couch, and he lays away from it. And he sort of got his face towards the couch. And I sit on the coffee table, and I'm just gently saying, are you okay, Prince? Is there something you want to talk about? I mean, are you all right? Nothing. And this went on for like 25 minutes. And I sort of like, I'm looking around. <sighs> hmm. Okay. I get up. Whoops. I get up. And I walk out. I get myself a cab and go home. If you're not going to talk, I guess I'll just go home. I don't know what to do here. Phone rings the second I'm in the house. Ring. Hello? And never heard anything like it in my life. Screaming at you. Yeah. Cursing. Oh, yeah. Yelling. Yeah. Saying what? What's this? What's he mad about? That I walked out. That I didn't stick it out. It was some test. If I'm silent, how long will you stay? Right. Or you wait until I start talking again? Just see how long you're willing to be uncomfortable. Mm. How uncomfortable can you stay and be in front of me and not walk away? Now, I didn't know the psychology behind that, nor did I see it as like, oh, you know, 
this is a, you know, he's he's trying to tell me something and, oh, maybe I misunderstood him. It wasn't that. It was like I was I was sort of smart enough to know, like, whether or not you're testing me to see if I would stick around to see, you know, whatever that moment is of someone feeling uncomfortable and not able to communicate, but, like, can you stick around? I was like, I can't. I didn't have the tools to be like, well, you, you, you take your time. I'll, I'll, I'll be in the other room. I'll watch some TV and, you know, like, be a grown-up about this. I didn't know what to do. Thinking back on it, I clearly see that there was something really going on here. Like, and that, that was a theme throughout my knowing him that he could be completely cut off and quiet and you either uh, sort of navigated that with him without saying anything because there was nothing to talk about. Like, don't talk about it. You just be here with me. I got that way later. But this particular phone call, I was like, no one's ever spoke to me, never experienced it in my life. And I hung up the phone on him. I was like, you can't do that. Hung up. Phone rings again. Even more irate. How dare you hang the phone up on me? (laughs) I was like, I don't know why. I I even said, I do not know what you're doing. I don't know what you're trying to say to me. And then he hung up because he wanted to be the one to hang up on me. So that, you know, that was my way. I mean, that was my way into to sort of um, uh, having an understanding that, like, he had a temper. I really realized that later, like, or not at that moment I did. Like, oh, this is a guy who's got a bit of a temper. Okay, there's a walk, tread lightly here because that, that could be, you could be misunderstood real easy. Um, and I went along with that. I, you know, I... I was being lured and, you know, he was coming after me and making a real effort to put himself out for me, and I pushed him away at that moment. And Which only made him want you more. It, well, you know, he didn't stop, so my guess is right. He came back for more. So, and I was perfectly happy to indulge it. You know. So what was the relationship like? I mean, I know you don't just like hold hands and walk down the boardwalk. No. <laughs> no. What's the relationship like? Well, for me, I can only speak for me because he wasn't monogamous. He was with many, many women. I knew when he was monogamous and I knew when he wasn't. So being in a relationship with him was complicated and... um uh, when it came to our our intimate life, it was complicated. When it came to our musical life, it was really clear and straightforward. Like he knew what I had to offer him, and I knew what I meant to him, and what I what you know my, what my musical gifts were, and what I could contribute. But when it came to our love affair, I'm I'm certain, and all the you know all the other you know women that he's been with. I mean, I don't 
don't know that for a fact, but um, I can only imagine that um, it was mixed for them as well. But my my own experience with him was, you know, beautiful at times and, you know, and really hard in other ways, you know, because he... It was his way. Always everything ha- it was his way. Um, fair enough. Um, but I was an identical twin, and I had a really tight family, and I was very close to my family, and <clears throat> and I grew up, uh, you know, performing and singing, and I was out there and comfortable with it and so and all of a sudden you know to be involved and not be sort of out there that it could be hard hard very difficult I don't really know how to you said the intimate life was complicated what do you mean um I it's complicated because You know, my references now as I've gotten older, you know, I've, I've been married, I've, you know, I have children, I, you know, I try and t- teach my children how to be honest, and no matter how difficult those feelings can be to be honest, we save them anyway, and we find our way through them. Um, being in a relationship with Prince back then at such a young age, it wasn't that way. There wasn't an ability to be honest with really difficult feelings. And those difficult feelings could be, I don't, I don't like being alone, Prince. Um, I want to be the one and only. You say I am, but I'm not. Um, to, if he's having a really difficult time, tell me about it, that wouldn't happen. You know, that would come out in other ways. That would come out in the music. That would come out in the you know, 48 hours, 72 hours straight of recording. It wouldn't be, you know, let's sit down and have this conversation about this stuff that connects us. It was very layered and it had to come out in physical ways. It came out in um, the music and that can be super complicated and weighty for really young people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. surprised we got through it, even the you know, as young as we were. But that I think, on so many levels, um, made clear to me how what kind of relationship we had. We were very, 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 very close. Good kisser. Is Prince a good kisser? Yes, he was a good kisser. Do, do you want me to tell you how he kissed? Yeah, I can't. A little. I'd have to kiss you and tell you, show you how to do how he kisses. All right, after the show. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll have to wait for that one. I mean, he talks so much about sex. I can't help but try to ask you about what was it actually like. Okay, so when you have a man like Prince who is so gifted and so talented, and so beautiful, and he has, he has bent, uh, 
the gender norms in, a, in, in, in many, many respects, although he was an incredibly straight man, very, very straight, but he was bending sort of physical um, courting, you know, he was playing female roles and male roles. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that has everything to do with his musical ability, his musical mm-hmm. talent, mm-hmm. and him as an artist. As a sexual man, totally different. Like, just because you are all those other things doesn't make you, you know, a, you know, what one would think Prince would be just this, you know, you know, I don't even want to get into that part, but he was, you know, he's not, you know, like, we're not talking about, like, you know, the kind of sex that you, one would think or sexual, you know, um, you know, play, or, you know, it was super, super, you know, normal, super loving, super, you know, give and take, super, you know, there's no, there was, super normal. Really? Super normal. More normal than what you would think. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, everyone has their, everyone has their, sexual identity in bed and everybody wants to feel as though that they can express that part of themselves in bed um that's not easy to do and it certainly isn't easy when you've fallen madly in love with somebody and you have to keep this sort of sexual nature that you've thrown into the world on that i'm not you know like he he was always this guy. I'm not saying that, like, he's two different people. I'm just saying that sexuality is super complicated, and it wasn't, you know, just because he presented himself into the world as this highly sexualized, mystical creature wasn't mean that there was something happening else in bed. It wasn't. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low-sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it, and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member... I save on every order, usually about 30%, which, of course, I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, Market. Dot com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. 
Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. And through all this, he's all about the music. It's always all about the music. Always. Always. What was he doing in this moment that would inspire the music? What are we doing right now that's going to inspire the music? When's the next moment I can be in the studio to record? Constantly writing? Constantly. Well, not constantly writing. Constantly playing. Now, that's a different thing because when you're finally in the studio and you're playing, and so his routine would, you know, put tape up. Lights go on in the studio. Fresh tape. Fresh tape goes on. Sometimes he was in there putting the tape on together. He'd be doing this, play, you know, press record. The Lindrum machine would come out. He'd be finding this amazing pattern. Then that would be put away right here. Bass, pick up the bass. He'd start playing something. He'd play a bass line. Then that would go down. Guitars would come up. Nope, put that one down. Bring in the keyboards. Play around with the EQs. Bring in all the other gear on the, you know, the outboard gear. Start playing around with sounds. Bring in the keyboards. Then play the guitar. Okay, everyone out. Give me a minute. He'd go into the, the main room, sit on the floor, big pad of paper, write. Usually lyric. Then he'd come back in, we'd all be out, and he'd sing. Because the studio had to be empty for him to sing. A studio would have to be empty for him to sing. And as a matter of fact, a, a great moment when I first started going down to the studio is when he was recording the Purple Rain soundtrack, and he was singing The Beautiful Ones. And we're all, this is Studio A at Sunset Sound. And he's screaming and howling in there. And it's take after take after take after take. And we're in the other room, you know. There's televisions on. We're all drinking Cokes and, like, getting snacks from the snack vending machine. We're just all, like, (sighs) waiting for it to be done. Hours later, screaming in the other room. Like, what is happening in there? Five o'clock in the morning. Come in. He opened the door. Gilbert, ready? Let's go. It's done. Bodyguard. Mm-hmm. One of the things, I mean. Or no, of, it was Chick. Sorry, Chick at the time. Part of uh, part of the beauty of your story, too, is that you are in a unique historical position to be in the front row watching one of the more amazing ascendances in modern music history. You are close to him before Purple Rain. Uh-huh. And he had a lot of great music and a lot of fans. But Purple Rain made him the global megastar that he would be to the end of his life. And you and 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 he was not rich before Purple Rain. After Purple Rain, he had all the money in the world. And you witnessed this change. Like, what was it like witnessing that change in a fairly short period of time? And how did he change? He didn't change. He was always always the same guy. He's been this guy since he was 12 years old and he left his mother's house, moved in with Andre. Andre Simone. Yes, Andre Simone. 
he's always been this little alien child who only wanted to play music. I just want to play music. I need to play music. So, you know, cut to years down the line after he's been in multiple bands and, you know, he's done his thing, you know, locally. Um, he meets Bobby Z and, you know, Bobby's got this great story where he took, you know, Princeton, he would go out at night and, you know, stop and get something to eat. It'd be like White Castle. And Prince couldn't get out, couldn't order these, couldn't order himself. Just, he was Prince. <laughs> this is like 17, 18-year-old boy. I'm not ordering these things by myself. Bobby, you do it. I'm Bobby, like, all right. Uh, five cheeseburgers, sliders, whatever it's going to be. Get in the car. And Prince would be like, woohoo, happy. I didn't have to order it, you know. Same, 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 same person to when he was 57. You know, he just had this otherworldly, can't do the normal stuff, just let me play my music. I can't, you know, I, that's just, don't, no matter how much money I have. You know, he used to say, you know, like, it's not about the money. You know, he'd say it a lot. It's not about the money. Meanwhile, you know, you're putting in 100 hours a week, you know, at any moment he, you need, he needs you to be there and you have to prove to him that it's not about the money. You know, that can be, if you're not Prince and you're not a special alien and you're just the normal folk, you're kind of like, oh, but it's kind of need the money, you know? <laughs> you do need the money. But he didn't need the money. It's bigger than that. He's bigger than the money. So was he was was there any change in who he was? No. Did he get more clothes made? Did he have better cars? Did he have you know more d at his disposal? That's not the point. Well, the, that's not the point. The well, point was the music. He was always enormous, yeah. huge. It didn't matter that Purple Rain came in, or it didn't matter that he was doing you know the When Doves Cry video, and that like that was all coming out. It didn't. He was always the same man. I love um, Around the World in a Day. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody thinks about it as like Prince's take on the Beatles, right? On the, on the post-India Beatles. But you've talked about <clears throat> that that was really inspired by your brother, who was your late brother, who's a great writer and player in and of his, on his own. Mm -hmm. He, his music inspired around the world in a day well partly true but the here's the the big part here is that it's lisa's brother david coleman who went into the studio with my brother jonathan melvoin and first recorded around the world in a day so after purple rain was done there was this moment like what are we what is he doing now so he was recording a lot of music but nothing had because he's the, doing a song a day. He's just recording. He's just constantly recording. He's just in He's in the warehouse. He's behind the console. He's got tape is up. They're recording. Um, he was in L.A. at this one time, and we had just finished putting the background vocals. Wendy, myself, Lisa, and Lisa's sister, Cole, we had done the background vocals on the original demo version or the 24-track demo version of Around the World in a Day. And Wendy said, we got to play this for Prince. He's here. Let's play it for him. So Wendy gave him the tape, and he went into the car and put it on, and it was like, 
first thing he said, can I have it? And David and Jonathan were like, sure. And flew back to Minneapolis, flew David back to Minneapolis with him because David played all these great Middle Eastern instruments. And he was like, you know, the Coleman's became sort of mythic to him. You know, Lisa had all these abilities. Now his brother, who was her brother, David, just, it was just getting fuller and richer, his sort of, um, his toolbox. He was like, wow, I've got all this great resources to use. And around the world in a day became the blueprint for what that record was to become. So everything recorded from that was because it started with Around the World in a Day. He went in, did that record, and then all, then all the other songs came about. So it was inspired by Around the World in a Day. It was not inspired by, you know, like, <clears throat> I want to do a Beatles, you know, Sgt. Pepper's record, or I want to do, you know, a Revolver like, record. But no. 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 Not at all. That's Matter of fact, all the he, he would, thought, but no. No. And all the critics were wrong. And he would even say it. They yeah. were wrong about that. Not my psychedelic, you know, record. This was his, you know, he, you have to understand that Prince had this ability to be inspired. His moments in his musical life were inspired by songs, you know. Yeah. And so one song in particular, like Around the World in the Day, became um, the... Um, it's sort of the foundation for this new period. Yeah. I want to skip ahead a little bit to talk about another song, another famous, amazing Prince song mm. inspired by one of the Melvoins. Oh. You. Yeah. <laughs> Starfish and Coffee mm-hmm. is your story. Is my story. Is my story. Yes. Tell us, what does that mean? I grew up with a young girl who I still know to this day, Cynthia Rose. Real um, name. That's her real name is Cynthia Rose. And um, I would tell Prince many, many occasions. I'd tell him the story about this girl that I went to school with. Wendy and I went to the school with this extraordinarily kooky, lovable beyond sparkly creature of a girl. This was like from first grade, second grade, up to sixth grade. Looking back, you think she was autistic. Oh, I know she was now. We didn't use that term. No, 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 no. I just thought, what? This is an unusual. now you see. I absolutely do. As a matter of fact, I know she's a musical savant now. She's She's on the spectrum and she's a musical savant. But she actually said this to you every day? She said every single day. She said what? She'd be in the car. She'd be. We'd be in a bus ride together, and a lot of times she'd be behind me, and she'd be sitting at the bus, and she'd be like, oh. she'd be putting, making happy faces, and she'd be sitting in her chair behind me, and you could hear, her and she'd be saying 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, 20, and I'd say, what are you saying? And she says, Papa, my favorite number is 20, and you know why? I'm like, I don't know why. She goes, well, there's an even number there. And then she'd do more happy faces. And so she would do this stuff. This was every day. This was every day. And she'd walk around the school. Everybody in my school knew her. She had a certain walk. She had this great sort of like and the Groucho Marx sort of like, She would say, you know what I had for breakfast? And I'd say, what would you have for breakfast? 
She said, I have starfish and pee-pee. <laughs> starfish and pee-pee? She said that every day. Every day I had starfish and pee-pee for breakfast. <laughs> and this is known. Now, like, to this day she still knows that she'd say. I mean, it's, that's a whole other story. But, like, yes, starfish and pee-pee. So I, but I would tell Prince about her. And he would ask, you know, on occasions he would say, tell me the story. What's going on? What happened with Cynthia? Like, what is this Cynthia Rose? And that's such a beautiful name. And she was so kooky and just what was up with her? And he was so attracted to that story. And, of course, I would get all animated and I would act the part out and I would act like Cynthia and I would do what she would do. And I would show him all of these things and we would laugh and laugh and laugh. And then one day um, in 1980s. 86, I can't remember what it was, March of some, anyway. Um, the studio at our Galpin house that we had just finished building, um, studio was just finally up and running, and he was recording as much as he can, like every moment of the day, frankly. Um, frankly, He asked me, I was sitting at the kitchen table, and he said, can you tell me the story of Cynthia Rose again? Um, can you write these little, just write down, details just write write it down so I spent the better part of an hour and I've just same thing I'd always told him and he's like looked at it and he was like starfish and pee-pee I don't know if I can sing starfish and pee-pee <laughs> do you mind if I change to coffee he said that <laughs> yeah he right was like, at the beginning I, he was like yeah he was like right up right, right away the bat, right off coffee. the bat he was like there's no way I can sing pee-pee can but you imagine singing pee-pee but it's coffee it's Bing. coffee done Done. The the rest of the chorus. That's starfish an and coffee. N- no maple syrup and jam. Not uh, butterscotch clouds, tangerine, and a side order of ham. That's the genius of him. But so the first part, maple syrup and jam. She said that too. Yes. <laughs> she had her little lunch box, and it would just be all. It just. But then the rest of that. All of that's his. The rest of that. His chorus story, is like his. Uh, the the chorus is his. Yes, the rest of the chorus but the is whole, his. The whole thing is. An adaptation of the story you've he been had, telling him. Yes, and it's all the kids in my class, all the names of all the kids. The actual the teacher, names. Uh, the actual names of all the kids in the class, the teacher, Miss Kathleen. That was your real? That's my real teacher. <laughs> yes. Yes. All real. Yes. And so, you know. Oh, he names Wendy in the song, right? No, I think that's. That's in Christopher Tracy. I don't think he names Wendy in okay. that, does he? First comes... Kevin Sentham, Lucy, and third in line was me. Yeah. Mm-mm. Okay. Lucy was Myth, it was Miss Kathleen's daughter. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how... Kevin, Kevin Kemper was the boy, Kevin. So you write it down. Yeah. He goes downstairs into the studio. Ten hours later, he comes up. He says, you want to come hear it? And I'm, yeah, walk down there. He's standing at the board. He's standing at the press's place. He says, here it is. Ten hours. And it's like, ring. And those three chords, just beautiful. And then he's like, I'm going to go upstairs, and you can put the um, background vocals on it. I was like, wow, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. Wow. But see, I can't stress enough that that is who he was, that he was so inspired by imagery and 
um, story and experience, and he knew how to he knew how to be the writer. He knew how to take all that stuff. I mean, he could turn a phrase better than most people, most poets I've ever read. Like that, he could take that yeah. chorus and may and turn it like that. That is, you know, and that he could be filled with pride and you know that was his honest place like that's where he felt like his most honest place the place he could share with you my experience of you Mm. so if you were lacking in all the other intimate stuff like the communicating and the whatever i was i was beyond blessed to be with him where he could be inspired enough to this is how much i hear you and this is how much i hear the world and through you yes it's amazing cuz you know prince fans have spent so long trying to decode and ah, what does it mean and what is he saying and what is he's telling susanna's story right he's telling you a funny story right it's it's there's not a hidden deeper meaning it's a story right just a nonsense, but not nonsense. But not story. nonsense. It's a true. It's the true. It's a true story. I. It is a true story. But he's saying, "Can I retell this story for you?" So you dated for a while. Yeah. It's up and down. Yeah. But it's going. Yeah. And then he proposes. Yes. Yeah. How does that go? Well, so we're, again, out of sequence, but that's okay. Um, So um, I was to be the lead in Under the Cherry Moon. No, no. Start in New York. But that's – okay. Okay. So right (laughs) – All right. So it is – I can't – it's the summertime, and Bobby Z and Vicky Norby, his wife, now wife, they were having their wedding day. And Prince and I had gotten into a tiff or a little argument. It's hard to say an argument because I wasn't arguing with him. It was just <laughs> where he was at. <laughs> um, he was not having it. Whatever it was, he wasn't having it. He wanted out. He wanted, wanted to go to New York. I'm leaving. And kind of leaving left. Minneapolis. And going I'm to New leaving York. Minneapolis. I'm going to New York. I didn't even say where he was going. I'm just, you know, he was not having it. He was pissed about something about something about me. I didn't know what it was, but it was like okay. I got to get to the wedding. So, we're all at Bobby's wedding. It's the a beautiful day in Minneapolis, and it's these two beautiful people getting married. And Vicky is sort of like the honorary band member of, you know, everyone's wife. And Prince loved her. Loved her. Of course, he I'm sure he wanted to be at that wedding. Well, <clears throat> cut to we're all at the wedding. At the end of the wedding, they've done their final, you know, you may kiss your wife. They give a big old kiss, and I get a tap from can't remember who it was. Prince is here. And so I turn around, and he's standing at the back of the wedding hall. And he's watched the whole thing, and he leaves. And then we all get meet at the warehouse. He wants to record. And Bobby and Vicky are like, he wants to record? We're leaving. 
he needs to record. And so everybody was like, okay, well, this must be super important. And, of course, I think it was Bobby who said to me, this is your fault, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I owe you my first child. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Anyway, they get to the the warehouse and um, this song, Empty Room. And it's this just tearful, beautiful song. You know, my red hair is on the mirror and he's just – bereft that I'm gone and he's so sad and he's got to have everybody playing on this song. It's called Empty Room. They finish. He leaves for New York. The following day, I get a call from Alan Leeds, his manager, saying he needs you to come to New York. I was like, well, I thought he wanted to just get away. I don't know. I'm tired. What? what? (laughs) He needs you in New York. So I get on a flight and go to New York, get to the hotel, and... We have a beautiful reunion. He's not – he's a, he's sort of a different guy. There's something that's shifted. And I sense the shift, and I'm not sure what it – if it was the wedding, that he got the music out, that it was his apology, the music, and we can start over again. But I was all for it anyway. Whatever it was, I was for it. And <clears throat> we had a beautiful night. And then the following day, he said, you know, do you want to get out? you want to go – shop I'm like yeah what girl doesn't want to go shop I was like yeah so we get in the car and he says to the limo driver um do you know any uh, jewelry stores nearby and the guy says yeah as a matter of fact just up here on such and such is Van Cleef and Arpel stop there so right in front of the store we get out and open the door and they're all waiting they're all waiting in there. They knew. He they was knew. They must have known. He must have had this whole thing. And he was like, show us your best rings. And they take us back to this small little room, tiny, you know, um, you know, down these hallways to this room. And they bring out the boxes of these beautiful rings with the lights that are all, you know, you know, being reflected off of mirrors and velvet and all this stuff. And I'm looking like, wow, that one's pink. And that one's yellow. Is that called? That's a canary diamond. Like, oh, wow, well, what's that one? What's that one? And then we see this beautiful white diamond. And I, oh, that, well, that's lovely. Try it on. So I tried on, and it's like, fits beautifully. How big? It's kind of beautiful. Six carats. Holy shit. Yeah, it was enormous. <laughs> yeah, I know. Liz Taylor. It was beautiful. So I was like, wow, well, that's beautiful. And I take it off and I give it back to the lady. <clears throat> and he says, no, 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 put it back on. And I, I kind of looked at him like, like, it's got to be really expensive. Just put it on. So I put it on. And he was like, okay, we'll take it. We walk out. That's it. No, there's no, you know, like, will you marry me? There's no... Proposal. But you're going, what does this mean? I'm thinking to myself, good Lord, you just spent a shit ton of money on a ring. Wow. You've got some excess cash? Like, that's a big that's a big thing. And I wasn't going to be like, look, you just bought me this beautiful engagement ring. Where's the on your knee? I mean, I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to spoil what I knew he was trying to create a moment. Right. And I was sensitive to enough to know that I wasn't going to be flat-footed and make him say, you know, dude, you know, huh, give it to me. Say it. 
wasn't going to do that. It just wasn't, it's not me any, to this day, it's not my, I don't, you know, you didn't say it, you didn't say it. So, but it's beautiful and he's super excited and he's all sparkly about it. And we get back to the hotel and we fly to Paris the next day. And we spend a week in Paris and we're staying at the uh, Crillon and over that overlooks the Arc de Triomphe. And we've had a beautiful week together playing guitar, walking the streets, just being what I had never experienced of him before, of being completely and totally devoted to me in that moment, one week, not recording, just me. And I'd never experienced him that way before. He'd never, it was always a combination of getting in the studio, working, you, we fit all of that in together. But this was like nothing else but me and him. And at some points he would say, let's call Wendy and play guitar. And so we would call my sister and Lisa and we'd be each have our acoustic guitar and we'd be playing stupid, silly songs. And we'd be like, I'd be like, in my mind, I actually thought to myself, he, he sees me. He's seeing me. He's seeing my closeness to my sister. He's accepting our – he's bringing – he's like – it seemed to normalize something that I hadn't seen him do before. He sort of pushed away before. He, was, you know, kept me hidden a lot. And it was all of a sudden he was bringing all of us together. You know, me, Wendy, Lisa, we were all together. Even though we were in Paris, it was this unit, and I, he was really devoted to that. And so we'd spent this week, and then one morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, he comes into the hotel room. He'd been up all night, and he sort of has the window, the, the balcony doors open, and he, Susanna, Susanna, I'm like, yeah, what? And he's like, yeah, i got to talk to you, i got to talk to you. And I kind of sit up, and I look at him, and he's just pale. He's just pale and, like, chalky white and looks frightened. I'm like, are you okay? Did you see something? And he's like, just come here, come here. And we go stand on the balcony and he's sort of walking and he comes sit up, come sit up here. And so I kind of sit up on the top there and I'm sort of looking at him. And uh, I said, what is it? And he said, um, well, um, I don't want you to be the lead in the movie. In... Under the, the cherry, cherry mood, you were the original well, I choice was the original the cherry, right. He wanted me to do, yes. For the role that? Christian Scott Thomas. Thomas. Christian Scott Thomas. Um, I said, oh, oh. okay. Uh, I want you to be my wife. Oh. Right. Oh. <laughs> Did I think, you know, that... It would end. We'd end up having, you know, our moment like that. That you know, did I? You know, of course, I said to him, "Well, if, of course." I mean, you didn't need to, you know, do this to have that. But I get it. And if you need that, I'm for us to have this. Yes, of course. And we were engaged. I want you to be my wife. I want to be your wife. What did you do after that? We went to Nice. We went to the south of France because we'd just done location scouting a couple of weeks before. Um, and we knew where the shooting was going to be. 
and he had to go do some more scouting of the location um, on a couple of couple of spots on the south of France. So we flew to, to the south of France. I mean, <clears throat> I know you're thrilled because you love him, but surely part of you is also saying, what is this going to be? Because he's a strange guy. No, I he's didn't think He's cheated a lot. Nope. No, I didn't think any of it. What did you think? This is great, and we're going to trawl up off into the sunlight nope. together, sunset together? Nope, I was living in the moment. I'm None happy right here, right now. Right here, right this now. This is good today. Yep. Were you purposely not thinking about the future because you didn't know what the future really was going to be? No, I don't think I had the tools to think like that. You know, I, of course, would, you know, look at my younger self and say, you know, you may want to think about that. <laughs> You know, what's the future look like? Like, how does that play itself out on what, however you make that up in your mind? What does that story look like? Um, I think I was really used to the spontaneity of our relationship and the, the sort of tentative quality of it because he wasn't, you know, like I said this again, I mean, he wasn't a monogamous man, you know, and I was a willing participant in that. Like, I was okay with that for a lot of times. Like, I put blind eye to it. Would I allow my own younger self to ever do that? Never. Never, 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 never. Be like, you're told one thing and then there's another. It's like, okay, there has to be some sort of honesty here. But that wasn't, that wasn't what was happening. So I was living with whatever I was given in that moment. It could have been more sure. Could have been much more. It was as it was more than I'd expected, even in the moment. Like I, I didn't realize. I mean, wh- I don't think my 19-year-old self to my 24-year-old self would have ever thought I'm going to marry Prince. You know, I'm going to have this extremely fruitful, nutritious musical life with this man that I love, and also marry him. But you, so wait, you're in Nice. Mm-hmm. You got engaged. Mm-hmm. You never got married. No. What happened? We just never got married. There was no talk of a, there was no even no talk of a wedding. You know, it was. Did I, you not dream of the wedding? No. No. I wasn't that kind of girl. I didn't have, you know, dreams of marriage and wedding dresses and never. I never thought that way. You never did anything to plan the big ceremony? No. So what happened? Um, I think what happened that my my version of planning was we bought a house. In Minneapolis. In Minneapolis, right near where we were building Paisley Park. Okay. Right up the street from Paisley Park. Bought like 200 acres of land, this beautiful property that has now unfortunately been bought by developers and they're making condos and whatever, subdivisions. But this beautiful property. And while he was finishing filming, I was in Minneapolis gutting the house, getting the studio together, working on all, you know, furnishing the house, making it our home. So in my mind... That was my wedding. That was my future. I was creating a home. You're building the nest. Right. So that was 
fine for me. The hoopla of being married was not the, that wasn't the thing to, to define my at, my, at the time, certainly not my relationship with him. So the house was, you know, we had a extraordinary period of time in that home. And I remember when he came off the road, he was, you know, talking to him on the phone saying, the house is done, the house is done, I can't wait for you to see it. And him walking in and seeing the house, it'd just be like, this is our house. This is where we're going to start it all. You know, it was kind of beautiful. I mean, that to me was my moment with him. That was the wedding for me, to see him walk into the space that I created for us. So then what happened? Well, with you know, went a few years of making a lot of music, making a lot of music. You, you went a few years engaged without taking a further step. A couple years, yeah. That was it. Yeah, without making a... Yeah, no, at one point, as was a matter... Was good in that period? He was good for a good... I mean, was it a good relationship? Was it a fulfilling relationship during that? Yes. Okay. Up until the end. Up until, uh, I'll be clear. Um, You know, it's been years, but I found out so much that makes sense to me now why we'd have these moments where I could tell he needed to get away. He would get on a flight and he'd fly to London, I mean, fly to LA or fly wherever. Be like, oh, you're not just working. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. You Go know. see some girl. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so I could tell there was a period where that started to happen more frequently. And I was, oh, okay. So something's going on. And so we'd have these moments where it would be, He'd leave me alone in the house, and he'd be gone, and then he'd come back, and everything would be fine. So, but there were more and more of those, and then at some point, like a not quite a year, um, I ended up leaving the house and getting my own place in downtown Minneapolis. Because he was cheating so much. Yeah, he wanted me to. He, he wanted would, you to move out. Yeah. He told you to. Yeah. I mean, I've never talked about that, but yeah. What did he say? He said, and I have to give it to him now, now that I think about it, he said, I just don't think I'm ready for that. For the relationship? I, to be living with you. Mm. And he goes, I'll do what I can to make you comfortable, but I think I need the space here. And broke my heart. Broke my heart. And I ended up, you know, in my own place and still having the same relationship with him just not in the house all the time because I'm certain that he was had other women in the house. Other women in the house that you built? Yes. Yes. Kind of makes me look like an asshole, but no, you're young, dumb. painful. Yeah, it was super painful. Super painful. But well, it's not the end. No, it's by no means the end because we're still recording a lot of music together we're still together. And he's still calling me. You know, one night out of the week would be probably allocated to some other woman, I'm assuming. But all the other nights would be me, you know. Be Seeing like, you, making music with you, recording. Being in the, you know, in, in, the the, in the studio or in the bedroom. Or both. 
It just wasn't living. He didn't sleep much. He would work for 24, 48-hour periods. Are you seeing the result of sleep deprivation? Oh, sometimes for sure. And and, uh, a diet of cake and sweet tea. Mm -hmm. He loved, loved, loved cake. Of all sorts. Mostly vanilla, uh, like a like a, a vanilla cake with chocolate frosting, and I would make that for him on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, that would keep him going. So random. He'd come up from the studio, take another slice, go back down. Cake. Cake. <laughs> cake. <laughs> How does it end? How does the relationship end? Yeah. What's the end end? Hmm. Well, the end is, I've just been spending time alone, too much time alone, and I couldn't handle the time alone, so I packed up my things and I left. Went back to L.A. and went moved in with my sister and Lisa, and this spent the better part of two or three months of him trying to get me to come home. And I just said, I can't do it. I can't come home. So you left him. I left him. Was there a final conversation, argument, discussion about, it's over, okay? One was, uh, Gilbert had come to pick me up to get me to come home, and Prince was in the car waiting for me, and he said, you just got, no, he was here, yeah, it was here in L.A., and I was at the house with Wendy and Lisa, and he said, you just, you got to go up there, you got to talk to him, you've got to talk to him, and I was like, I don't, if I go up and talk to him, I'm going to come home. I can't. You know, you have to come upstairs. You've got to talk to him. So I got in the car, and it was heartbreaking, you know. It was heartbreaking. But um, he said, are you coming home? And I said, I... no, I'm not. I can't. He said, why not? I said, I don't like being alone anymore. I can't do it. You won't be alone. I'll be there. And I didn't know how to answer it. I was like, oh, jeez. That's the problem. Is that, you know, that's lonely. And it was really, like, I, I don't, I think I probably blacked out at that point. I don't really remember how it totally ended. All I know is I got out of the car and he was really upset. I was a wreck and I went back downstairs and cried and cried. And then, of course, within a few months, he's on the road with the sign of the times and I'm flying all over the world to hang out with him and be with him. And, you know, and I'm sure he's with other women and they have no idea that like, oh, Susanna's in town, you know, she's with him, you know. And I'm like, this went up for years, years. What was the relationship after the relationship like? Because you were still friends. Oh, yeah. Um, um, you know, it was. I always knew when I was with him that he was, um, there was always a, a, an intense kind of like a, kind of like, a, it was like a visceral thing. Like he loved to be hugged by me. He loved being hugged by me. And a matter of fact, in like, 
1992 or 93, he called me in the middle of the night. He said, can I come over? I told him how to get to my place, and he comes in and he said, I just came here because I needed to get a hug from you. And so I wrapped him in my arms, gave him this big, giant hug, and he just sort of melted into my arms and, you know, was sort of smelling the back of my neck, and he was like, nobody... Nobody hugs me the way you do. I need. I needed to be hugged, um, and I, it was heartbreaking. And I was like, "What's going on?" I couldn't figure out like what's going on with him right now. What was happening during that time? I don't know. But he was conflicted about something, and um, you know that was who stayed for about a, an hour. And then when he left, he stopped at the door and he looked at me and he was like, "I'm coming back for you." I'm coming back for you. And I said, okay, I'll be here. You know where I am. So, and I'd get those, you know, I'm, I don't want to say that I'm like, you know, the only one. I mean, I'm sure there's other women that have had the same experience. Maybe not. I don't know. I just don't know. But I know that m my relationship with him was, um, layered, complicated, beautiful, heartbreaking, and never to be. The love of your life? No, not the love of my life. Because as I've grown, I've understood. It may have been the, the lover of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean that sexually, but I do mean that on, on a, you know, like, it, he, he was the best experience that made me who I am of my life. Did he teach you anything about singing? Nope. No, I can't say that. No. You know what he did teach me about singing? He said, the uglier you look when you sing, the better it's going to sound coming out of your mouth. <laughs> and I've always just been like, you know, if it's coming out, you, however it comes out, however you get it out, you know, don't worry about what this looks like. While you're getting you it out. Get it out. And so I always remember that. And he's right. He's right. I'm not, you know, if you're a super pretty singer, you're pretty lucky. <laughs> <laughs> you could be doing it better. Yeah. Anything else he taught you about music? About music? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. But, you know, he taught me always how, you know, he taught me the importance of, of, of um, laying back. What does that mean? It means, you know, there's a, you know, you can be on top of a beat or you can be behind it. You lay back. It's got a swing. It's, a it's got a groove. Yeah. I don't know about cooler because you know you can have something that's uh, sorry. You can have something that's on top of the beat and it's cool. But to have something that's got sort of like a you know like a big ass on it and something that's you 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 pull back on a vocal line. You never you never jump on it. You never push yourself into a vocal. I would never have known that if it weren't for him. I would have heard it, but I wouldn't have understood what it meant to do it. And so he would make sure you understood what that is. Mm. Last time you spoke? Um, the last, I, okay, so there's two different stories here. The last I spoke to him um, was a few years back. Um, the last I'd heard of him or heard from him was um, a year before he passed and he reached out 
but he reached out through, um, I think, his manager at the time. And he'd heard that I was going through some some hard times. And he was there for me and my kids. He really he just an extraordinary act of generosity and helped me do something that I was, you know, I was on my ass, on my knees, and I, you know, and he found out, and he, and I got a call from Bobby saying he's looking for you. And then, you know, I'd see him, when I had my, I first had my kids, I would, I would see Prince a lot, and he'd always ask to see pictures of the kids, and he just, you know, they never met him, and they were just about to meet him, and he passed. So it's got really heartbreaking, but just a, a couple of weeks before he passed. Yeah. Um, I'd heard, I was in, no, 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 no. I'd, I'd heard about the Moline incident with Where him. Where he and, you descended. Know, like, right, because he was sick. He had the flu he and he came down. I was like, thing in flu, private jet and he yeah. descended into Moline, Illinois. Right. And you knew. I just said, like, that doesn't sound like the flu. I mean, you, addiction is a sickness. And you have known addicts mm -hmm. in your life. Mm -hmm. um, did you know he was sick? No, I didn't know he was sick. But I had a feeling that the last I'd seen him publicly, I was like, I raised eyebrow on that. I was like, that doesn't look like. He's not healthy. He looked like a drug addict? No, he didn't look like a drug addict, but he'd lost a ton of weight. He was super sallow. It was like something's physically not right. You know, that was, I think it was the American Music Awards, and he was in that orange outfit, and i just never seen his, you know, face so thin. Like, mm. okay, age is one thing, but like, no, there's something else happening. And I know that... He'd been on you know, the piano and microphone tour, and Vanity had passed away, and I know that he was reminiscing a lot, and there was stuff. Like, it just felt like something's not right. Now, I do know addicts, and I know what recovery is, and I know what it's like to ask somebody to go into recovery. Um, not, it's not easy, and you don't do that. You can't just make somebody go do You know, you just can't. You, know? you can't call somebody an addict. They call themselves an addict. They have to know that. So I'm not going to call anybody an addict. But um, he was in a whole lot of pain. and Physical pain? He was in physical pain. He had two hip replacements or one hip replacement. He'd done, you know, a lot of damage. And, you know, however he had to nurse that, that's his thing. But I was sort of f trying to figure out, like, well, this doesn't sound like flu, you don't hide information when you fly into, a, you know, you take a diversion from your local airport and you land in some itty-bitty airport in Illinois. Um, so I called, and I, you know, I think I spoke with Apollonia first, and I said, yeah, I called her. I said, have you heard anything? Is he okay? I think she's, I think he's okay. And then... Um, I do have to say that he had reached out to me before the Smolene thing um, because he had he had read the Starfish and Coffee story that I had written 
about how we wrote it. You wrote a children's book. Well, the children's book is not done yet. There's other things that go along with that. But I had written uh, a story, um, and I posted it. It's kind of an essay on how Prince and I wrote this song and how he recorded it and how just, you know, the whole thing. And I, I have to say that, you know, like I told you earlier, it was his way of communicating to me and saying, I hear you and see you. And I acknowledge your your story, and it's moved me to the point where I this is how I want to communicate it to you and to the world. So I did my best to honor him in that story that I'd written so people could see, you know, I thought, you know, without giving too much information because I didn't want to invade his own privacy or, you know, speak for him. But I felt like, you know, that the story was had a potency to it and it explained in my, the way, how I see him. So cut to, he'd read the story and he loved it. And he was one to always take things down if he felt like, no, that doesn't, you know, take it down, take this down, take that down. You're always being told, take it all down, take it down. Well, that never happened. So then we cut to after the Moline thing and I called and I spoke to his engineer, and he said, no, he's, he's doing better. He's doing better. Um, he wants to write with you. And I thought, oh, okay, I, that would be amazing. We're going to send you something. It's not necessarily what he wants to work on, but just, just to give us an idea of maybe, you know, here's what I can come up with. What can you come up with? Let's go in. So I sat with it for a couple of we almost two weeks, and I was in class, and I heard about his passing. But I remember just, you know, saying to the girls when I got that call to my kids, I was like, well, you're finally going to meet him, which I'm so happy about. So happy that you're going to finally get to meet him. He's going to love you guys. And then um, I was in class and doing the old sort of start your get your, do whatever you can to, you know, I don't even know, I mean, the hustle. And I'm in college, so I'm in class, and I hear a woman behind me say, Prince is dead. And I sort of turn around, I'm like, where did you hear that? What are you talking about? She's like, it's right here on the news. And nobody, of course, nobody in that class knows, they don't know who I am. Nobody. I mean, it's just a bunch of, you know, from 18 to 90 or it's, but it's field class right I'm just one of many and um I said well you can't always hear whatever I mumbled something back like no nah, it's bullshit and I pick up my phone and it's just on fire and I pack up my books and I go up to my professor and I say I gotta go he was like go got home got my kids get a bag and flew to Minneapolis where was I going? I don't know. I thought I was going out there because as I've told you, and I think I've mentioned this many times before, like I have a very deep connection. And my family, my Wendy and Lisa, we were all like, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Okay, so if he's not here, we need to be there. We need to sort of hold him and his spirit. 
we need to do that. And I was the first to get there. And it was awful. It was awful. You know, I got out there and it was like, we were shut out. You can't be here. You're not part of this. Like almost like you don't know him. You don't know him. You're not part of him. You don't know. And I was just like, I mean, I was just like, I sort of sat in this mire with my kids and my friends from history at Minneapolis. And we're all sitting around going, and I just felt like, God, I just feel like such an asshole. Why am I here? Like, where are my tears coming from? Like, why am I so sad? I'm being pushed. It felt really awful. And then I was like, no, just get it together. You know, you're here. And I, you know, I drove around and, you know, went to the, snuck under. (laughs) I literally snuck under the gates of our old house where the house had torn down, got underneath there. I walked the entire property and it was just sort of doing my you know, goodbyes. And then Wendy and Lisa got out there and Bobby and Mark and Matt and everybody who's worked with him that we'd all worked with from Robin Lynch and, you know, every, you know, everybody, everybody, just everybody. Karen Crattinger, all the techs, all the sound guys. And you guys got together and we had our memorial. Told stories. Yes, we did. We and nurtured each other. Uh-huh. And Maite came to that one. Can you talk about the stories that you told? Sure. <laughs> Part of me wants to save those. Because I, you know, I... These are... Uh, you know, I've only given you a bit. And I mean, I'm sure that there's there's so much more. But I'm kind of, you know, I kind of feel like, let me put it this way. Everyone came to that place and laughed and, you know, they were all like, you know, there he is. You know, of course that, you know, the stories were beautiful and funny and vulnerable and, you know, no one, no one's ever heard them except for all of us. And, I, you know, it's probably best that I keep it that way for now, you know. But I was it, – it was, it was definitely healing, although that's been a – I mean, it's, it's still present. And I think what I'm – It's okay. What I'm trying it's to okay. get at, sometimes when we have that very present loss that – there's a memory or story that we cling to to sort of buoy us. That's the thing. I think that's what I – This the stories that I shared were not necessarily the sort of the, the ones that you would assume that would carry me through. Um, you know, we weren't walking on the beach or, you know, it was like, it's even funnier. It's funny, 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 funny. It, it, like even crazy, that, silly stuff. Even apart from those specific stories, if you want to keep those, is there something, is there some memory that you hold on to, to sort of like, you know, I... I, I okay, I, I, all right. So I am going to share this with you because it's a perfect thing to end with. Because <laughs> when I think of it, 
it makes me laugh so hard because he's he had such an amazing sense of humor, okay? So he was very funny. So we're in the south of France, and we 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 have a, a yacht waiting for us. In the, this is the, like, under around, the Cherry Moon era? Yes. And there's a, like, I think it's right off Cap d'Antibes, and we're in the French Riviera, and we get in this beautiful yacht. It's just the two of us. I think Gilbert's there, and I can't remember, if the, you know, the, the crew. And we get out. Beautiful. It's just crystal blue. <laughs> and uh, does I want to go snorkeling? I was like, do I want to go snorkeling with you? It's like, yeah. So I was like, yeah, I do. So, of course, we both jump in the water and Gilbert throws over, like, goggles and flippers. He's putting his goggles on. He's putting his flippers on. He puts his goggles on. And he's like, he gets up in the water and he goes... Like, dive down. And I've got my, you know, things like, okay. So I get down, and he's, like, going like this. And I get up, and I'm starting to swim. I'm swimming closer and closer, and I get up really close to him, and he goes like this. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I literally choked on the water, and I ran. I was like, I was trying to get up to the top of the water. I was like, that was... So I shared that, and it was just so – it's so – it was so him, and I got to – I got that part of him. Do you know what I mean? That's the guy I got. So when I think of him, I think about that he he could show me that. So it was beautiful. And super funny. Hmm. Or I suppose you should could have been there. It was very funny. <laughs> um, anything else you want to say? Um, you know, part of me wants to just say, you know, without I know that this was about you know what was it like having a relationship with him, but I I kind of want to. Just to add that um, sharing a musical life with him was as important, if not more important for me. And it was something that I shared with my sister, Wendy, and with Lisa. Excuse me. Are there other songs, or what are the other songs that you have a significant part of, like, Starfish and Coffee? Well, there's a period of time where I'm on some very significant records that didn't even see the light of day, but are bootleg, like the Crystal Ball record, the Black record, the Camille record, Dream Factory, um, um, parts of Sign of the Times. That's all me. On those background vocals. Nothing compares to you. Sorry? Nothing compares to you is about you. Yeah. What else is about you? Um, Come Home that he had Mavis Staples do cover of um, Adore, If I Was Your Girlfriend. Um, I have to look at my notes. If I Was Your Girlfriend is one of his most extraordinary. Is that... 
somehow a window into the relationship? Yeah, I think it is. I really do. Um, it's his way of, again, it's his way of communicating. I want to be closer to you than any man can be with you. So if I am your girlfriend, will you tell me everything that you tell them? So, you know, that's a, I, I suppose it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a diary for him, but it was also a, a love letter to me at that time. Um, forever in my life, things like that. You walk, you know, wake you up in the morning, come down, play you forever in my life, you know. You know, just a beautiful ride in so many ways. It was a beautiful ride. And he was the coolest alien that's ever landed. <laughs> For real. <laughs> oh. And I got the abduction. Totally happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to Susanna for a great interview, and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Instagram at Torre Show and on Twitter at Torre. Please subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friends about this show. Tory Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Chris Colbert and Tyrese Hester with help from Candid Nicole and our photographer, Chuck Marcus. We'll be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man still can't shut us down.